0: listening to sermon audio from First Baptist Church of Van Holsteen. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. Sound good today. I love to worship with you. So encouraged uh, by being with you every week. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to uh, the book of First Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 this morning. A series we started a few weeks ago, and now uh, we move into chapter two, the book of First Corinthians. Of course, a letter from the Apostle Paul to uh, the church in Corinth. And in this letter, Paul addresses a number uh, of controversial issues in the church. Uh, in our uh, modern day vernacular, we would say that the church at Corinth was a jacked up church. Okay, they had some issues. Uh, not unlike uh, virtually every church, when you really stop and think about it. And churches are just a collection of very imperfect, broken, messed up people, right? Uh, and uh, great, gratefully, uh, if we have turned from our sin to faith in Jesus Christ, then we are becoming new. Uh, more like Jesus Christ every day. And so this letter is really a response in a series of correspondence between Paul and the church church. Uh, at Corinth the theological message of 1 Corinthians is really fundamentally this the gospel requires god's people to mature in holiness or christlikeness we would say and unity uh, unity in christ our unity with one another Uh, And so together, uh, despite our differences and differing opinions and differing gifts and all those things, we are to all come together under the banner of Jesus Christ and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is the theme that drives really all of Paul's writing. Uh, And that is the gospel, that Jesus lived, died, rose again for sinners. And God will graciously, mercifully save those who turn from their sin to faith In Jesus Christ. Now before we dive into chapter 2, I want you to understand that there is a clear parallel between the great commission that we find in Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 through 20. We would would describe those few verses really as the church's marching orders, the game plan. A couple of teams are going to meet up today in Tampa, right? I guarantee you both of those teams are coming into this game with a game plan. Well, the church has a game plan, and we find that in Matthew chapter 28. We call it the Great Commission, and if you're not familiar with that, I would encourage you to spend some time there in those those few verses, Uh, but those are our marching orders. Well, there's a, a, a clear parallel between the Great Commission of Matthew chapter 28 and what happened here in Corinth, and we find record of that actually in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 11, so let me break that down for you just a little bit. In the Great Commission of Matthew chapter 28, we are told to go, therefore. We are to be a going people. In fact, it literally reads there in the original, as you are going, as you were going. So it's not like a one-time event. I went on a missions trip one time a few years ago, so I've kind of done that. That's not how it works. The Great Commission is as you were going. Well, that's what Paul did. In Acts chapter 18, we're told that Paul went to Corinth. It was on a missionary journey that he went there according to Acts chapter 18 and then we're told in the great commission as you're going make disciples make disciples well according to Acts chapter 18 verse number 8 it says as Paul went to Corinth many heard and believed many heard and believed so he was actively making disciples and then in verse number 19 of the great commission it says baptizing them Well, in Acts chapter 18, verse 8, it says, those who heard and believed were baptized. Then the Great Commission tells us, teaching them. So it's not like, hey, once they've come to faith in Jesus Christ, they're good to go. Your job is finished. You can go on to the next. And that's not what it says. It says, you continue to train them, to teach them. Uh, Well, it says in verse number 11 of Acts chapter 18, that Paul remained there for a year and six months, teaching them. Uh, and then all of this, verse number 20 says, I am with you. So it's not as if the Lord has given us these marching orders. Here's your great commission. Now, good luck with that. Now he says, I go with you. And that's what it says in Acts chapter 18 as well. You'll notice there in verse number 10, it says, for I am with you. Now you say, why is that important? Why is that parallel uh, so important? Well, for one thing the marching orders of Matthew chapter 28 have not changed. Okay. That is not some archaic game plan that we study historically as some sort of good plan for the past. That is still the game plan for the church today. Okay. Nothing's changed about that. And so we are to be a going people. Go, therefore, make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them in the, in the name of the Lord, and I will be with you. And so it's that same game plan some 2,000 years later. That's also important because of something that we commonly say here. If you've been around for any length of time, you've heard me say this. We said it uh, a lot during uh, the, the uh, emphasis of our Joshua project, our building program, and that is this, God's work done God's way, produces results that we can't explain, that we can't control, and for which we can't take the credit. Let me say that again, because some of you fell asleep for just a moment right there, okay? God's work done God's way produces results that we can't explain, that we can't control, and for which we can't take the credit. And I think we see that right here in Corinth. Now, while God certainly used the Apostle Paul and some of his teammates, he used other faithful leaders, it was ultimately the Lord's work being done here in the church at Corinth. Now, by way of context, cultural context, geographic context, let me remind you that Corinth was at the center of a very pagan culture that placed a great deal of value on rhetoric and philosophy, The most influential people of their day, those that we would call rock stars today, the rock stars of their culture were not famous actors like our culture, not music artists, not athletes, not entertainers. No, their rock stars were people who excelled at rhetoric and philosophy. They were called sophists. The Greek noun Sophia it means wisdom, it means intelligence, it means knowledge, it's a word that could also uh, be used to mean clever. So that was the, uh, the, the context, the culture of the greco roman world of that day. And so debating others and giving flashy speeches, it was, it was both a science and an art. It was a skill that required sharp wit and deep knowledge and impeccable logic and a stylish use of words and turns of phrases and those kind of things and fiery passion and, and all of those things, regardless of the topic. They could be talking about politics. They could be talking about uh, whatever the subject. And here's the crazy thing. The most successful orators or speakers or, or uh, rhetoricians... They had uh, devoted followers, loyal students who would actually pay to be their disciples. Okay, so that's why it kind of ties back into some of the texture that we've, we've learned about division within the church. That's part of the reason that some of the people in that culture would say, Well, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas. It okay, would, not, would not have been uncommon in that day for people to attach themselves to a particularly gifted speaker, an orator even to the point that they would pay money to be one of their disciples. And so a lot of times whenever we hear the word disciple used in Scripture, we think of one of uh, the followers of Jesus, Jesus' 12 disciples, right? Well, actually in that culture, you would become a disciple of someone who was uh, considered a master at a particular trade even. Maybe a a stonemason or a carpenter or an orator or whatever the case may be. The word uh, disciple in scripture is the word mathetes and it, it fundamentally means learner. And so not unlike today, when somebody says, I want to be an apprentice of someone, I'm going I'm to learn from someone who knows much more than I do, has much more experience. That's what would happen in this culture. And it was especially common uh, with these philosophers, these, uh, these orators. And so the, the more convincing, the more moving one's rhetoric, the more paying students one would have. Now the style with which one expressed himself, was every bit as important as what he said. I can remember taking homiletics in seminary and my professor making it clear uh, that uh, the style with which you preach or teach the Word of God is not nearly as important as the message that you are proclaiming. So often in preaching, we tend to give uh, way more attention to the the, the method of delivery, the style of delivery, and that kind of thing. And and I suppose we all have kind of our favorite preachers, our favorite speakers, and they use different methodologies, and uh, they employ creativity and a lot of different things to convey biblical truth. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that, as long as that doesn't become prominent or more important than the message itself. I can't tell you how many times... I've had people come to me several, several weeks, months, sometimes even years later, and they will tell me, I remember that one illustration you used. And my response to that is usually this. What was the truth that that illustration was supposed to, to shed light on? Um, uh, that, when I get that kind of response, I think to myself, as a speaker, as a preacher, I've failed. I mean, let's face it. Most of you will not remember the gist of this sermon two weeks from now. That's incredibly humbling as a preacher, okay? It just is. Because I would like to think that I've invested a significant amount of my time this week into preparing this message in such a way that it will impact your life so that it's not easily forgotten. Hey, there are times that I even have to ask myself, what did I preach on two weeks ago? So while communication is important, and and, and Paul is certainly not opposed to persuading people, uh, Paul certainly did that. He makes the point here that the message is far more important than the style with which it is delivered. He definitely didn't want the message of the gospel to be overshadowed by the messenger of the gospel, So the words that are used to describe Paul's preaching here in chapter 1, verse 17, really down here into verse number 5 of chapter 2, are certainly not words that the influential orators of that day would have used to describe their rhetoric. Instead, Paul describes his preaching using the metaphor of a herald. A good herald is a messenger who faithfully announces another's message. And so while I understand technically what we're saying, when uh, I refer to the sermon this morning as my sermon, I'm preaching my sermon. You may say, hey, I really appreciated your sermon. Yeah, it's my sermon in the sense that I've I've spent time this week digging into God's word and studying and preparing and all those things. But ultimately, it's not my message. If I'm faithful to God's word, I'm faithful to do what God has called me to do, then it's his message it's his message. Now I'm not suggesting that I've got some special like bat phone to heaven where I get a word from God that you can't possibly get. Okay. That's not what I'm saying. We're not talking about some sort of special revelation that only pastor Mike can get. Okay. Now I may have some insight and some things of that nature that, uh, that God has given me by his Holy Spirit. And I thank God for that. Okay. But, but I'm, I'm no different than any of you. And when it comes to, uh, it's, it's so funny as a pastor, sometimes people act like that only the pastor can come and pray for me. I, I delight in praying for you, but hopefully you can pray for one another. Okay. I don't have some special line uh, that allows me to, you know, uh, be on God's speed dial somehow that, that you don't have. Okay. And so with that, that's why this morning, again, we are preaching on preaching really. Now, let's look at the, the first 10 verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Again, Paul is writing, and he says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God, check this out, with lofty speech or wisdom. Okay, he's referring there to the, to the kind of language that would be common among these orators, these rhetoricians of his day. Okay, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Now, those are not words that these these orators, these well-known orators would have used to describe their speaking. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the spirit and of power. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, in my presentation, in my words, he's saying, but in the power of God. Then in verse 6, it says this, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret, a mystery, hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And many times we stop right there, but it's really important that we couple that with verse number 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. The first thing I want us to see from our text this morning is Paul's approach to preaching. I suppose every preacher, everyone charged with the task of preaching and teaching the Word of God, particularly those who do it on a regular basis like myself, a lead pastor, a lead teacher, whether you do it here in a corporate worship setting or in a, in a, in a smaller group or as Jace does with our student ministry, whatever the case may be, we have a particular approach to preaching. Preaching. Okay, and there are different methods that are used today, and there are different, uh, d- different preachers emphasize certain things. Some of you are perhaps familiar with certain preachers who, uh, they- they very, uh, they're-, they're very strong into uh, prophetic texts, okay, and that's just kind of a, uh, they're bent. That's something that they really give a lot of attention to, and there- there's nothing wrong with that as long as it's not out of balance or out of sorts, okay? Some pastors are, are known for topical-type preaching, Okay, I think we have to be careful there. Uh, not that that's a wrong approach necessarily, but what can happen many times is is what one of my professors described as springboard preaching, where you like read a text at the beginning of your sermon and then you just jump off from there. And by the end of the sermon, nobody can remember what the text was. Okay, what we want to be committed to, what I believe God's word instructs me to be committed to, is what we would call text-driven preaching. Okay, in other words, the text drives the message. Some would call that expository preaching, and that comes from the idea of exposing the text. That's what I want to do. So I don't want to get up here every week and just spout off, you know, meaningful moments with Mike as I give you my opinion about a lot of stuff in the world. I have some opinions. I'd be glad to talk to you about those things. But fundamentally, my task every week is to open the Word of God to you, for us together to learn and discern what God is saying to us through His Word by His Holy Spirit, That is text-driven, expository preaching. Now, a lot of times, and some of you grew up in this kind of environment, this kind of culture, uh, where uh, your steady diet was verse by verse through a uh, book of the Bible, for example, much like we're doing here with 1 Corinthians. Great. Great way to preach and teach the Word of God. I think uh, there's a number of things that that does for us. It makes it really difficult for preachers to skip over parts of the text that are a little difficult. You know what I'm saying? So we got some of those coming in 1 Corinthians, just in case you didn't know. All right, if you continue to read a little further here, I know some of you have already thought to yourself, should the kids be in the service on that day, or what do we do? Okay? Well, we're not going to be inappropriate, I can assure you of that. But whenever you go through a book of the Bible verse by verse, you, you just take it the way it's given to us from Scripture. Okay, but we want to be, uh, be chained to the text, as they say. Okay. Well, I want to expose you to the word of God. And so uh, Paul makes it clear here that he had not come to Corinth to glorify himself. Okay. He was not trying to start some sort of a religious fan club. Okay. Some sort of a following like the orators of his day. In fact, he continually said things like, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. Okay, so he, he had not come to glorify himself, but to glorify God. He simply declared God's word in the power of the Spirit. He was an ambassador, we call it. An ambassador, not some sort of s- uh, slick uh, Christian salesman. And we've all experienced a sales pitch, right? Man, you're smack in the middle of it, and you're like, when-, when will this end? Okay, That's not what Paul was about. Um, in fact, we always want to, uh, in many ways, be like an envelope. Okay? Back in the day when it was more common for us to actually send letters uh, to, to other people, uh, you would put that letter in an envelope naturally and put a stamp uh, on it so that you know, the postage would be paid and it would get where you intended for it to go. And many times when you would get a piece of mail like that, you would rip it open and many times you would discard the envelope. Because that's not what was most important. What's most important is the message inside the envelope. And so as a preacher, as a proclaimer of God's word, I'm much like that envelope. Okay, I want to deliver the message to you, but what's most important is the message. Years ago, there was a church that, uh, like many churches, had a cross behind the pulpit. Well, one Sunday, there was a guest preacher. And this guest preacher happened to be quite a bit smaller than their regular pastor. There was a young girl who was in the congregation there and uh, she sat there listening to this guest preacher for a little while and then she finally turned to her mom and she asked where is that man who usually stands there so that we can't see the cross and as I read that illustration I thought I never want to be that person who preaches in such a way that you don't see the cross I don't want you to leave here thinking, man, that was a great sermon. What a great preacher. I want you to leave here thinking, oh, what a great Savior. That's the task. So Paul was laser focused on proclaiming Jesus Christ, and it says here, and him crucified. Now that's important. He preached Jesus. He preached Jesus. He didn't preach Jesus as some self-help guru. He didn't preach Jesus as just a good moral teacher to help the Corinthian people become better people because that's not the gospel. Remember, Jesus did not come, live a sinless life, die a substitutionary death to just make good people better. He did all those things, died in our place to make dead people, spiritually dead people, alive. I think we need to remember that. So so Paul preached Jesus Christ and him crucified. In other words, he proclaimed the gospel, that the Corinthians were sinful people, just like we are, in need of a Savior. And he preached the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus as the life-giving power of the gospel message. And he did this to the glory of God. That's how he approached preaching. He didn't come into Corinth saying, man, I'm going to try to compete with all these orators around us. I'm going to be one of the the better known speakers of our day. In fact, historians tell us that he really wasn't all that great of a speaker. That was his approach to preaching. Let's secondly notice today Paul's attitude in preaching. Though he was an apostle, Paul came to them as a humble servant, didn't depend on himself. He became nothing, in fact, that Christ might become everything. And so Paul would bring this up again and again in his writing, even to the Corinthians, contrasting himself to the false teachers that had invaded Corinth. And we find record of that in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. So Paul had learned this fundamental truth, that when he was weak, God made him strong. Now, don't don't misunderstand what Paul is saying here. Paul is not suggesting that we are to preach poorly or we're to preach uh, with timidity. Okay? That's, That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that we're to avoid using the gifts that God has given us. He is saying that the source of our confidence must never be in ourselves. The goal of every preacher should, again, never be to hear, oh, what a great preacher, or what a great sermon, but to say, oh, what a Savior. So Paul depended on the power of the Holy Spirit. The word demonstration that you see there in verse number 4, it's an important word. It means legal proof presented in court. So the Holy Spirit used Paul's preaching to change lives. That's why we say often here, we do not want to just come together every week so that we can be better informed. Okay, now I hope you leave better informed, for sure, learning something that you did not know before. But that's not fundamentally why we come together. We come together around God's Word so that we can be transformed. Not just better informed, we want to be transformed by the power of the message of the Word of God. Um, we sometimes lose sight of that, we preachers. We, we are naturally many times prone uh, to pride. Very easy to depend on your own strength, your own abilities, your own giftings and those kind of things. Very easy to do that. I'm ashamed to tell you how many sermons I've tried to preach in my own strength, my own power, depending on my own creativity and all these different things. It doesn't work. I sometimes say that, that preaching is a lot like golf, okay? If you've played golf with me, you know that I'm never going to make any money at golf, Okay? <laughs> I'm just not. Uh, I don't play enough. I'm not committed to it enough. I, I, I enjoy it. But here's the thing. Most of the time when I hit a decent shot, I have no idea how I did it. That's the problem. You know, it's one of those shots that peop, you know, golfers say, that one will keep me coming back. Well, the problem with me is when I hit one like that, it looks really pretty, almost like those guys on TV. I do that every once in a while, but I have no idea how I did it. Most of the time, when I try to replicate that swing and that shot, you know what happens? The ball goes, or it goes, it's a very humbling thing, right? Well, preaching is the same way. There are times that I can sit in my study all week and I can work and I can come up with illustrations and all these different things that I think, man, this is just, this is going to, man, this is going to connect. And it's really gonna. And then when it's all said and done, I walk away feeling like I laid an egg I mean, there's just this sense, this feeling that it just didn't connect. Like People just didn't get it. It just wasn't happening today. There was a gifted preacher who was feeling especially good about his uh, Sunday sermon one week. And after he and his wife had enjoyed lunch with some of the church members and everything, they were driving home and still feeling pretty good about himself. He turned to his wife and he said, Sweetheart, how many great preachers do you think there really are today? She said, I'm not real sure about that, but I'm pretty sure there's one less than you think. (laughs) It can be a very humbling thing, um, this preaching. So that's Paul's attitude in preaching. Let's consider thirdly this morning, Paul's aim in preaching. Paul's aim in preaching. So he obviously wanted them to trust in God and not the messenger that God sent. Okay. Had he presented the plan of salvation as some sort of a philosophical system like many of the orators of his day would have done, okay, if they were given the subject matter. Uh, now, if that was the case, then the Corinthians would have put their trust in an explanation. But because Paul declared the word of God in the power of God, his converts put their faith in a demonstration. They experienced God at work in their lives. Remember, Paul wrote to the Romans. And in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he said, For I am not ashamed of what? Of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So what's the power source? My cool sermon? The, The crafty turns of phrases and all those sorts of things? Great tools not wrong. We want to communicate to the best of our ability. We want to connect with people to the best of our ability. But what's most important, the power is in the gospel itself. You know, that's one of the things that makes makes preaching, the ministry of preaching, so very scary. And I've shared my testimony with you. You know that how when I was first called to preach, it scared me to death because I hated the thought of talking in front of people. But I'm going to tell you what scared me more than that was the subject matter. Because I knew that that calling meant that I wasn't just going to get up every week and talk about whatever. Okay? Not going to talk about the Bible as just some piece of good literature. We're talking about the very word of God. That is an incredibly scary thought because what happens if I mishandle the word of God what happens if even in my best effort I I mislead people or I confuse people and I, I, I bring more confusion than I do clarity it's a crazy thing and then when you, when you begin to, 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 to look at ministry and the ministry of preaching week in and week out and pouring your heart into a group of people and, and, and opening God's word together, there, there's some things about that that just, it becomes almost overwhelming at times. We often say it this way, whenever you preach, it's a lot like delivering a baby, Okay, been in the study all week and been putting the pieces together, been studying the text, doing exegesis, all the different things, all the di- using all the different tools that a preacher uses and all those things. You, you put the message together and then, man, you've got this incredible burden you feel. And then you come up and you, you empty yourself of that burden. But then you get up on Monday morning and discover that you're pregnant again. That's how preaching works. That is the cycle of pastoral preaching and teaching ministry. And it starts all over again early on Monday morning when I will very likely tomorrow morning sometime, I will open God's Word and I'll begin to look at verse 11 of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I'll begin to read over the next section of verses that we're going to look at next week together. Okay? But whose Word is it? Whose message is it ultimately? Not mine. It's his. And Paul recognized that here. It's very clear that he did. Understand this. Salvation was purchased by the Son. God the Son. It was planned by God the Father. And while the gospel is, this is is life-changing. Listen to this statement. While the gospel is simple enough for an uneducated pagan to understand, believe, and be saved, it is also so profound that the most brilliant theologian can't fathom its depths. And about the time any one of us thinks we've got it all figured out, we're in a really dangerous place. I love reading, uh, man, old guys. (laughs) Guys who were long gone. And I I love to discover that while while many of those people literally gave their entire lives to a better understanding of the word of God, ultimately when it was all said and done, I, I would have to echo what they say, that I've only, only touched the tip of the iceberg of all that God's word tells us, all that God has for us. So what are some characteristics of this wisdom? If it's not man's wisdom. It's God's wisdom. What does that look like? Well, according to the text here, it's a wisdom that comes from God and not from man. It's a wisdom that has been hidden, he says here in verse number seven. It's a wisdom that involves God's ordination. It's a wisdom that results in the glory of God's people. It's a wisdom that is hidden from the unsaved world. You ever feel like a coworker or someone you've been sharing the gospel with, like they just don't get it yet? They probably don't. Scripture tells us the natural man, and when it says that, it's talking about the unsaved man. The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are spiritually discerned. So you have to have the Holy Spirit living within you, dwelling within you, to better understand these things. It's spiritually discerned. Okay, So this is a wisdom that is it's a mystery, he says here, it's hidden from the unsaved world. But this wisdom applies to the believer's life today. As we close, I want you to consider this for a moment. It would have been very easy for you to sit here for the last 20 or 30 minutes or however long I've been preaching and think to yourself, well, it's pretty neat to kind of listen to Brother Mike preach a sermon to himself, maybe to Griff and Jace and the others who who teach here at First Baptist Van Alstine. This definitely has our name written all over it, okay, no doubt, but it applies to all of us. While you may not be called to this office, we call it, while you may not be called to this type of ministry, particularly vocationally, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, then you are called to be a proclaimer of the gospel. And that is fundamentally what preaching is. Your life preaches a sermon every day. It should. And it should be pointing others to Jesus Christ. And so many of the principles that Paul unpacks for us here in this second chapter of 1 Corinthians, it applies to all of us. So when you're sharing the gospel with a coworker or a neighbor, or a family member, or a friend, or whatever the case may be, <laughs> ultimately, you don't want them to walk away from that discussion thinking, that dude's pretty clever. Boy, she sure is smart. The most important thing is that they say, and that person serves an amazing God who's full of grace and mercy. And, that, and he's demonstrated his love for us through his son, Jesus Christ. That's what's most important. So, what's your approach to proclaiming the gospel, however you may do it? What is your attitude in that? And ultimately, what is your aim? Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Van Alstine. For more information about our church, visit www.fbcva.com.